Decisions are hard. You guys relate? Like, and I'm not talking like, uh, like little decisions like do I have coffee this morning, which is more like an act of survival for me. Uh, I, I'm talking like big decisions, life-altering. Like do I take that job? Do I buy that house? Do we start a family? Big decisions. And if, really, really all of us, I think we have some sort of scale to kind of weigh it out, right? Like maybe not a literal scale, but you've got some sort of measuring system that you use to decide like, hey, which one do I choose? When I, uh, when I entered the workforce, I, I was much younger, and I, I got a sales job. I was making more money than I ever had before. I had no responsibilities. I was single, living large. And so I was like, hey, you know what I need to do? I need, now is my chance to buy my dream car. And so I brought a buddy who was going to help me kind of just make a wise decision. He, like, we didn't know Jesus at the time, but I was like, hey, worldly wisdom, help me make sure that this isn't an emotional bias. So we show up at the dealership, and I see it, right? Is this two-door, manual, black Jeep Wrangler, soft top, chrome all over the place. And so, so I get there, and I'm talking to the salesperson. They're like, hey, uh, so we ran your credit, and you've got really bad credit. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And they go, yeah, and because of your credit, your interest rate's going to be really high. All right. And because your interest rate's so high, your, your car payment is extreme. And then my buddy goes, hey, I think this is a bad decision, but I want it, <laughs> right? Like, like I had a way to measure it out, and my desire outweighed all wisdom, and I bought that bad boy, and then I got married, and I sold that bad boy. <laughs> but the point is, we all have a measuring system for the, the decisions that we make, and following Jesus is no different. Like when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, we need to weigh it out and decide, hey, am I in on this thing? We're actually encouraged in scripture to do that. Jesus says, hey, I want you to count the cost because Jesus isn't a God of fine print. He's not your cell phone provider. Like, like he wants you to know what you're signing up for, what you're getting into so that when you commit, you know the deal. You know what you're in for. So the question for you that I want you to wrestle with today is, which way is my scale tipping? And is it worth it? If you have your Bibles to help us get there, uh, we're gonna be in Acts chapter eight. Uh, and while you get there, I'm Josh, I'm the student pastor here at Life Church. I know what you're thinking, that guy's young Bob. I understand. We've been in a series on the book of Acts uh, where we've, kinda, we've gone through a lot. And the book of Acts, like we're on chapter eight, we still have a long way to get, we're not even halfway done, so we're going to be in this bad boy for a while, uh, and we've learned a ton. So we, we had the, the start of the church, like Jesus rose from the grave, that was incredible, and then, then the Holy Spirit came into the disciples, and we had this guy named Peter who, who shares the gospel to thousands and thousands of people except Jesus, and then last, last week we had this guy named Stephen share the gospel to a ton of people too, and he was stoned to death for it, and that's where we're going to pick up right here in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, on that day, what day? This is the day that Stephen was murdered. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You want to follow Jesus? You're going to be persecuted. You want to follow Jesus? You're going to be, at times, scattered from where you want to be. And I, I want to clear things up a little bit, though, because our definition today of persecution is a little different than the definition 2,000 years ago. 
So today, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing it, it's real, but we're facing rejection, hardship, family turmoil sometimes, insults. Back then, they were risking everything. See, back then, they were like, hey, how do I find a way to get to church without getting murdered? Today, we say, how do I get to church and decide between the 120 between my house and H-E-B? It's different. Persecution was very in their face, and still, they had to find a way to tip the scale. It continues, it says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to lose loved ones. Sometimes, maybe because of persecution, other times because they hate what you believe and therefore hate you as well. Either way, we're going to lose people that we love. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That word, that word but is really important. See, it says, they're in mourning, but Saul continued to destroy the church. It says, regardless, like, hey, they're in mourning, they're hurt, they're struggling, and, and Saul's like, I got things to do, man. I got Christians to, to throw into prison and people to kill. See, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have people whose minds are so poisoned against the gospel that it's poisoned against us. And it's going to be hard. We've heard this uh, a lot in this series already. You heard it from Pastor Chad, I, I think, a couple times at this point. And really, it's, it's a theme that we're going to see through the book of Acts. But it's, it's this. Persecution is not a glitch. It's a feature. Like, it's not an accident. So it's not like, oh, man, like, like, I can't believe this happened. For me, it's, it's often like, I can't believe I made it so far before this happened. Because persecution is not a glitch. It's not an accident. It's something that is a part of counting the cost. Because we know it's coming. That's one of the reasons that our roles as parents, if you're a parent, it's so important. Because I've read the end of the book. And so I know that this persecution thing isn't isn't just a seasonal thing. This is actually going to get worse. And I want my daughter and I want our children to be equipped and prepared for what they're going to be called to face ahead. We have to take it seriously. Verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is where we're going to set up camp. That word scattered... Uh, has a couple different versions to it, depending on the version you're in. Uh, it might say scattered abroad. Some say scattered to other countries. In this chapter, we see that some of them were scattered to Samaria. Uh, Acts 11 gives us even more context. We see that they were scattered even to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So they're all over the place. They're scattered all over the place. And before this point, being scattered was a really bad thing. See, being scattered often meant that you were being scattered away from the land of promise or from your designed purpose. It was always conflicting with who God had created you to be. Think about it. We, we see in Scripture, the Tower of Babel, there was this great unity, but in their pride, they were scattered away from that unity that they were designed to exist within. We see the Israelites uh, get scattered through Egypt, we see in Jeremiah, we see that the, the Israelites again are exiled to Babylon. And even after Jesus' death, the disciples are scattered back to old habits, hurts, and hangups, back to their old identities, their old behaviors, back to who they believed themselves to be before Jesus. See, being scattered 
up until this point, always meant defaulting back to the current of this world and away from your design. But this time is different. See, at this point, uh, it wasn't about a land of promise anymore because the promise was sealed in the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit, and therefore they were kingdom citizens. They were adopted into sonship, into the family of God, which means that they no longer belong to this world. Why is that important? Because it didn't matter if they were in Jerusalem, Samaria, or otherwise, they were just visiting. They didn't belong to this world. They were just stopping by. And we get that confused sometimes. We show up to work or we show up to your favorite hobby or sometimes even in our families. And we, we show up and we conform to the culture that exists there because we're afraid that we're going to be rejected. We look at the cost and we say, hey, in this moment, it's just a little too much. Because we're worried about all the treasures we have here. But here's what we need to realize. This world is a hotel, not our home. See, you don't go to a hotel and store up your treasures. You guys ever get, like, if you went to a hotel, you probably, like, I have this, almost this, this habit when I go in, I try to find the safe. Usually I'm looking for the fridge and accidentally find it, but it's fine. And you find the safe, uh, raise your hand if you have ever used the safe. Put your hands down, you're ruining the metaphor. <laughs> I, I normally say most of half of us, have never used the safe. Why? Because our most valuable things aren't traveling with us. They belong at home. And that's what we forget is that this is just a hotel. See, Scripture says it this way. It says, store up your treasures in heaven because your treasures don't belong in a hotel. Like, we don't need to worry. And I'm not saying that rejection won't happen, and I'm not saying it won't hurt. I'm just saying that our treasure is somewhere else, and so we're going to survive it. That this is, this is just a process as we step towards something even better. And as long as our eyes can stay on that, as long as we can remember that we are just visiting, we can act as the disciples that Jesus has called us to be. See, when I'm visiting, oftentimes you'll know where I'm from by the way I speak, the way I act, what I do, how I love. If I go to Australia right now, I'm not going to speak in an Australian accent. One, I don't want to be punched. Two, like, I, I don't want to lie, right? Like, they're going to know where I'm, they're going to be like, hey, you're probably from this area. You're probably from this part of the United States. You're going to have it figured out by the way I talk, my accent, my words, my actions, my deeds. It is the same way as a disciple of Jesus. Like, we are meant to step into a world as visitors, as enemy visitors, where they see us speak and they hear our words and they see our actions and they're like, where the heck are you from? Because that is so completely other to the culture that we live in today. They should ask, hey, what's going on here? See, in this, this instance where the disciples are scattered, their status is the same. They're just visiting. And so that's why I can say wherever they went, didn't matter where, wherever they went, they preached the word. Because they were going to be disciples no matter what. See, as the disciples were scattered, the gospel was spread because it was sealed in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. 
When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks impure spirits came out of many, and, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip's like, I don't care where I am. Like, I, I got to let you know. Like, I got to let you know who this Jesus guy is. I, I, I got to let you know, like, hey, come see what he can do. See his power, his love, his mercy. I want you to see it. And there's, it says that there's great joy in the city. Like, it's exciting. Now, you might be like, hey, Josh, like, isn't this a reason for the other side of the scale? Well, sure, we can put it over here. Uh, but I want, us to, I want us to be very clear, though, that these signs, miracles, these healings were not for the benefit of the believers. See, Samaria at this point was an unreached people group. They did not have Jesus, and you'll see why, like how we know that in a minute. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and so it wasn't for the benefit of believers. It was for the benefit of them to show the glory of God and to invite them to be a part of it. We see a similar uh, situation where there's disciples, or, or it says Jews, but we can venture a guess that they're disciples, uh, where they were also trying to cast out demons, just like Philip. But like, Philip is getting after it. So in Acts 19, I love to give you guys spoilers, so if you want to jump ahead to Acts 19, there's these Jews, you don't even need to go there, don't turn your Bible there, we're just there for a minute. But there's these Jews who are like, hey, we're going to cast out all these, all these demons. And so they go to a guy and they go, in the name of Jesus, who was spoken to us by, by the apostle Paul, like, like we, we command you out. And the de demon says in verse 15, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard about, who are you? How sad is it when the disciples of Jesus are so pacified that we're no longer perceived as a threat? If we are living out our call as disciple makers, and I gotta step over, like, when we say disciple maker at Sci Life Church, it's not just a word. Like, it's not this Christianese word that we kind of just throw around flippantly. Like, it is a word that has meaning. And so just because you, you show up to church does not mean you're a disciple maker. Being a disciple maker says you're taking your call seriously to follow Jesus and to raise up other people into maturity. That means that you're getting with them. You're spending time with them. You're raising them up. They know they're being discipled. It's not stealth mode discipleship, right? Like, it's a conversation that you're regularly happening, happening that's regularly happening. There we go. With the goal of leading them to maturity to do what? To do it with somebody else. And if we are living out our mission at Sci Life Church of becoming disciple makers who turn this world upside down, y'all, we're gonna be a threat. Like if there was, if there's a top 10 most wanted list in hell, I want Sci Life Church on it. And that sounds awesome. It's like, man, like, okay, let's go. Like, get, get the guns. Let's go. Let's go to war. I want to be clear, because there's a weight to this. We have brothers and sisters in Pakistan right now who, as they pursue Jesus and plant his church, they're being murdered for it. They are such a thorn in the enemy's side that he is giving them all his attention. And how sad it would be, while that's going on over there, for one of the enemy's generals to go up to him and say, hey, what about that what about that church over in Cyprus? For him to respond, nah, don't worry about them. They're not a threat. If we are the disciple makers that Jesus has called us to be, 
we're going to be a threat. And because of that, we're going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. Philip, he's already counted the cost. Like, Philip knows what he, he got into. He already knows that there aren't a lot of earthly benefits, especially 2,000 years ago, to be a Christian. And Philip's like, I am all in because this place isn't my home, so my treasures are going up there. I'm good. Take whatever you want. So Philip is casting out demons. He's healing people. He's, he's praising God. And this idea of, of supernatural happenings, it wasn't really a foreign concept in Samaria at the time. Like, it, you know, there was something different about Philip, which we're going to get into, but supernatural happenings weren't unique, at least in themselves. Verse 9, we see it here. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Recap, before Philip, we have Simon. And Simon is a sorcerer. He's a, a witch genie. Right? Like, and he's this guy. And like sorcery is in the Bible is, is, is highlighted as evil and satanic. And we even see kind of examples of it uh, because we see that Simon was all about Simon. Like, it was all about his name being great. It was all about how incredible he was. And if you've ever read a gospel, any of them, any of the four, it becomes pretty clear that the gospel is not about how great you or I are. And we have to let go of that. But that's how I was, that's how I grew up. Like if I'm shooting straight, it was all about how incredible I was. Because I'm awesome. And so it was all about like, hey, I got to get the trophies and then I got to show you my trophy room so that you can be jealous of all the trophies that I have. And y'all, we do this all the time. This is, what's, this is what Simon's doing. He's like, I'm spotlight Simon. Like, put the spotlight on me. Look at my trophies. Look at my accolades. Look how awesome I am. Look at my YouTube subscriber list. Look at my Instagram followers. Look at how incredible. I got the promotion. I hit the home run. And y'all, those things are not bad in themselves. I'm not saying that. But they were never meant to be the target. If you are living for your own glory... You are living for a dying world. It's not about that. It's not about your bank account. It's not about bragging about your reputation, that promotion, your abilities, your talents, your job title, how well you pray. You guys ever do that? Like you, you pray in front of people and you're like, man, I killed that. Look at me. I think I'm so spiritual. It's like, man, like none of that was ever created for our glory. None of that, especially prayer, right? Like, like none of that was ever meant to be for us. It was meant to point to, towards him. And the catch is when I have an accurate picture of my own brokenness, and if you know me, you, you know that I'm incredibly broken. And if you don't, you, you can assume. When we have an accurate picture of our brokenness, it's very easy to realize that it's not about how great we are. That it's not about how fantastic we are. It's about how broken we are and how desperate our situation is so that we can realize that we need a Savior, knowing that he is loving enough to do exactly that. See, we're meant to be foreigners of this world. We're visitors. We're just stopping by. 
and we need to act like the kingdom citizens that God created us to be. When we go to new areas, it should be, hey, let me tell you about my king. Yeah, I see yours. Let me tell you about mine. But we can't do that if our treasures are here because we're so afraid of being rejected or turned away. Verse 12, it says, but they believed Philip. So, hey, there's Simon and there's Philip. And it's like, ah, but, but they believed Philip. Philip had a little bit more going on for him. Uh, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. I think it's really important how that's worded because it says, hey, they were baptized, both men and women. And earlier in, in verse 1, it was, and they're dragged away to prison, both men and women. This is highlighting this for a reason because it's helping us know that they knew the cost. They knew what they were signing up for. It wasn't, I'm going to be baptized so I can put a fish on the back of my bumper, right? Like it was, hey, I'm being baptized knowing that there's going to be a cost to this thing and it might cost me everything. And for whatever reason, for them, the scale was still tipped towards Jesus. They knew that it was worth it. And we even see here that, that Simon believed. Right? It says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. He said, man, there's something different here. Like, like Philip, you've got something going on. Like, like I, I, I mean, I did genie witchcraft a little bit, but you've got something like I don't even understand. And so Simon starts to follow and there's a huge difference that's, that should be obvious to us. Because Simon said, hey, look at me. And Philip said, look at Jesus. Like, do you see him? Like, do you, like, like no, 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 I'm just a guy. Like, he's working through me. Look at him. Let me tell you about my king. Let me tell you about Jesus. You don't have to belong here anymore. You can be a visitor too. We've got a better place. And Simon sees that difference, and he is caught up in it just like everybody else. Verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. They had, like, they had FOMO. They had fear of missing out. They're like, we got to be a part of this. Verse 15, When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they may receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. If you have been with us through the entire series on, on Book of Acts up till now, this is incredibly confusing. And the reason is because you heard, like really, I, I think it was the first message on this series, uh, Pastor Bob came up and he said, hey, just so you know, the Holy Spirit, when you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you immediately. It's an immediate process. And then... The next week, you saw me come up, preach on Acts chapter 2, and I was like, yeah, and it took 10 days for the Holy Spirit to come. And so we kind of walked through that, and then now I'm like, hey, I don't know, maybe Bob's playing a joke on me, but now like the Holy Spirit, they're like, hey, the Holy Spirit doesn't come into them right away. And so you might be asking, okay, so which one is it? Like, is the Holy Spirit an immediate response to believing, or is there some sort of delay? Well, according to Ephesians 1.13, also uh, Romans 8 talks to it a little bit. The Holy Spirit is an immediate response to salvation. Like it's an immediate response to accepting Jesus. So the question we should be asking is, why is this different? In order to understand the difference, we need to understand a couple different pieces. Uh, first, we need to know what a Samaritan is. So I, I mentioned earlier uh, that Samaria, that it's enemy territory, but there's a reason for it. See, Samaritans 
uh, were viewed as inferior people. If you think racial reconciliation is a new concept, it's not. Like, they believed that they were inferior people, and so the Jews hated the Samaritans, and then in response to that hate, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and it was this whole thing. Why did they hate them? Well, well here's why. See, there were three main people groups that are kind of highlighted uh, in this, this part of Scripture. You had your Jews, your Gentiles. Gentiles are people who were pagan, uh, having multiple gods. And then you had your Samaritans. See, Samaritans were an interracial cocktail. They were, they were both. Basically, if, if a mama Jew and a daddy Gentile love each other very, very much, a stork will fly by and drop off a little Samaritan baby. And then they'll colonize, right? I'm done. I, <laughs> like, so those are Samaritans, though. They were, they were half Jew, half Gentile, and they were hated for it. That's really important. Hold on to that. And then we also have this guy named Peter. Now, Peter was told by Jesus that he was going to lead his church. And so Peter has taken that role very seriously at this point. Now, Peter, as the leader of the church, and I, I believe by God's design, is actually a part of every time the Holy Spirit comes into one of those people groups for the first time. See, we see in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes into the Jews, Peter is there, and he's one of the Jews that receives the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, now Peter shows up again, and when the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit, he's there. And then Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles are reached, Peter is also there. And there's a, there's a reason, I believe there's a reason for that. All right, I'm going to step away from my Bible for a second because this is more like an educated guess. But scholars believe, and I believe, that the reason for that is pretty simple. If the Samaritans had accepted Jesus and received the Holy Spirit by themselves, there would still be great division between those people. But because Peter was there, it gave it credibility and invited them into the body in the way that they were called to be. So yes, there was a delay, but there was a delay with purpose, and that is not how it ha happens anymore. It's also really important for us to realize how pivotal this moment is for our theology. Because y'all, without it, most of us would not have the Holy Spirit, right? Like most of us, like Jesus opened the gates, but at this point, only Jews had the Holy Spirit. That was it. Now, that wasn't the design. Obviously, Acts chapter 8 and chapter 10 happened. Uh, but originally, Jews received it first. And then we, as people, need the Samaritans and the Gentiles to receive it because most of us don't have a Jewish heritage. And we are reliant on the Holy Spirit still being able to reach us and for us to be able to be indwelled by it. This moment has a profound impact on our following Jesus. So Peter hears all this stuff's going on. He shows up. He starts kind of laying hands on people, right? The Holy Spirit's coming into them. It's awesome. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Same old Simon. Right? Like, like he's like, hey, like, listen, listen, Peter. Can I call you Pete? I don't know if you've heard about me, but I'm kind of a big deal around here. I'm a witch genie. And, and, and he's like, hey, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw you some Washingtons your way. Like $1, like how much you need? I got you. And he starts trying to pay for it. Now, what he's not trying to do is he's not trying to pay for the Holy Spirit. I want to be clear. He's trying to pay for the ability to give others the Holy Spirit. He's like, I've got this. And we do this all the time, where we try to pay for free gifts, 
because we hate them. We hate gifts. And you're like, hey, no, 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 I love my birthday. Like, my birthday is legit. Well, somebody else's birthday is coming too, and you're going to have to buy them gifts. There's a transaction there, all right? But hey, we hate free gifts. Don't believe me? Think about the last time you took somebody to lunch. And they said, hey, I got this one. What's the first thing you said? Wasn't thank you. Next one's on me, right? Like, it, it wasn't thank you. It was like, hey, I got the next one because we're like, hey, they've got some scheme here where they're going like, like, to hold like an account or maybe they, like, I'm, they bought McDonald's so that, that I can take them to sushi later. Like, what, what is happening here? There's some sort of plan. And our pride wells up and we're like, man, I don't want a free gift. I don't know what I'm signing up for. And yet, even though we hate free gifts, it's a requirement of being a follower of Jesus. Because we're, we're trying to pay for something that we could never afford. You can't, you can't earn this thing with God. You can't say, hey, God, if I act this way, you give me this thing. That's not how it works. Simon's like, hey, like, hey I'm going to earn this thing. I'm going to pay for it, and then I'm going to be great. And this is important for us, too, to, to recognize that because Simon is still acting like Simon, Right? And you might be like, hey, hold on. He's had this whole experience where he believed and he was baptized. Why is he still acting this way? Well, it's important for us to realize that discipleship and being a disciple of Jesus is a process. See, you don't, you don't show up to church one day and become a believer. In the same way, you don't show up to AA and automatically you're sober. It's not how it works. It's stepping into a process and hopefully a community that's going to walk beside you and help you mature and grow as the disciple that God created you to be. So if you are following Jesus because it's going to fix your circumstances and it's going to fix who you are right away, it's not. It's a process. So Simon's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you money. Uh, and then Peter doesn't say this, but I'm pretty sure his eyes lit up because he is the most equipped person to rebuke people in the entire world. Like, he has been reboken, rebuked by Jesus, like, a ton of times in Scripture. And so Peter's like, this is what I'm, like, this is my chance. Like, I, I'm able to rebuke. I got this. I'm prepared. Jesus called me Satan. I'm good to go. And we see it happen in verse 20. He says, Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Fun fact, following Jesus, you're risking getting rebuked by another follower of Jesus. Sometimes they're going to be right, and it's something that needs addressed, and sometimes they're going to have it messed up and do it wrong, and you're still going to go through it. It's part of the cost. Peter's like, hey, your heart's jacked up. He's saying, you're trying to pay for something that is freely given, and you were never meant to. Saying, stop trying to pay for things you cannot afford. Think about it. It's, it's already, got, already got. Like, you're not, you don't give to God, like, financially. You don't give your money and your tithe to God because he needs it. He says, it's for your heart, not for his need. Peter's like, man, you couldn't afford this. What are you doing? This is a free gift. 
point of all that is stop trying to buy free gifts. Stop trying to buy them. Accept the free gift and let go of your pride. Don't let your pride be another stone on the scale. We continue on. Verse 24. It says, then Simon answered. Like, Simon has been rebuked, right? Like, this, this thing has gone down. And Simon's like, hey, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you just said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. I love that ending part. It's like, hey, they're returning to Jerusalem, but they're stopping in a ton of places. Why? Because they're just visiting. Right? Like, like, they're just stopping by. They, they have a message to share with the entire world. And so everywhere they go, they're going to visit and share it because it has no impact on their status. They're just here for now. Simon, on the other hand, we, this is the last we hear about Simon. This is it. And so you might be here wondering, like, okay, well, was Simon actually saved? Because, like, like was it a believing, like, a saving belief that he had at the very beginning of this? Or was it just some other kind of belief where it was kind of wishy-washy and wasn't, he wasn't really in? Like, like, is he saved? Well, sorry, guys. We, we don't know for sure. I, I believe he was. I believe that he was engaging in the process. But we don't know for sure, and it's not not ours to decide. What I can tell you is that it 100% came down to which way his scale was tipping. Did he decide to follow Jesus? Or did the cost cost too much? So you might be asking, you might say, Josh, that's all well and good, but the scale's still leaning in this direction. Like you've counted a cost and it's extreme. And I didn't even bring up that it's going to cost you your money, your time, your gas, which is like money and time right now, right? Like they had donkeys back then. We drive cars. This is not good. Like the cost is extreme. Why should I follow Jesus? Like how are the scales tipped in the other direction? There was a time when the scales of our soul look just like this. Like there was a time where, where our sin and our brokenness and our lostness left our souls so tipped away from God that we had no chance to be redeemed on our own. Where the gulf of our sin created such a separation that we were beyond hope. But he loves us. And so he sent his son to die on a cross to pay our debts that we couldn't pay on our own to tilt the scales in the other direction so that when the storm comes, he can be our shelter. And when we feel like there is no shelter, he's out there with us dripping wet with rainwater. It's that our God is known as comforter, healer, and redeemer. It's that his faithfulness is not contingent upon my own faithfulness. It's that his well of grace never runs dry for those that will seek it. It's that our God is bigger and better than anything that else could, could, could come. It's that no stone, no pebble, no boulder can ever outweigh the hand of God as he intentionally presses down the scale in his direction and turns those other stones for his good. That's why Stephen, as stones were flying at his face, couldn't take his eyes off Jesus. Because even death stones didn't outweigh the hand of God. Our God is enough. He always was enough and always will be enough for us. And if you don't know it, I'm here to tell you that he will tilt your scale too 
if you let him. See, each of you hopefully received a a stone when you came in. And that stone is going to represent something for you on your scale. Because each and every one of us has a weight on the other side that pulls us away from Jesus. If you're not a believer, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, you're still weighing it out. And here's my challenge for you as the worship team comes back on. I want you to invite him to tilt your scale. I want you to invite him to, and say, like, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm broken. I can't, I can't fix myself. And, like, I, I can't do enough to earn your grace and favor. I'm done trying. Tilt the scale for me, Lord. And watch what he does. For those of you that are believers and disciples of Christ, I want you to pray over this stone. And I want you to give it a name. It might be a, a sin that you're clinging on to that's preventing you from being the disciple he calls you to be. It might be a fear or a doubt or a question that has just been nagging at your heart. Whatever it is that's causing a hesitation in your walk and journey in following Jesus, give it a name. And then in this time of worship, I want you to pray. I want you to say, God, show me how light this stone is compared to your hand. Show me how big you are compared to this tiny pebble. Help me realize that the scales, it's not even close. Because you are good and you are worthy and you're ours. Jesus, we love you. We love your heart for us. We love your pursuit of us. We love that that you don't give up on us even though we, we deserve it. And God, we have a scale and it is way too balanced. Like our scale should be so tilted in your direction that we can't even walk straight. God, help us to see how strong and loving your hands are. Help us to remember that you tilted it for us and that we don't need to be afraid, not because the storm won't come, but because you're with us in the storm. Help us to remember your goodness and how trustworthy you are. We give you our worship. Amen.